It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down I was born. Hey there, folks. What's going on? Welcome back to American Loser. It feels good to be back. Does it not, Dad? Absolutely. There was a hiatus that was uh, mandated, but... Uh, <laughs> unintended. Undesired. Yeah, unintended, undesired, uncalled for, but uh, here we are, though. We're back. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, guys, you are not stuck in a time machine because around this time last year, I unfortunately did have to take a little break from the show because I myself had gotten COVID. Um this year, I don't have it. Instead, my parents just got it. So <laughs> yeah, you know, one at a time, too. Two weeks Sharing apart. the wealth. Yeah. It's all in the family. LP went down shortly there after uh, Christmas. Uh, and then right when you were starting to bounce back, um, that uh, the beautiful mother of mine, uh, Sandy Burke, who is still on the mend, uh, she is uh, able to – she was moving around better today for those that were On curious. the comeback trail, yeah. for sure. And it sucks. It always sucks to have to talk about this. But we also did uh, lose somebody who was uh, uh, a big, big character in our family. Um, Aunt Sandy was an absolutely beloved person. We got to uh, spend Christmas Eve with her, which was awesome. Uh, I'm very affectionate with her because uh, she, Kahuna, she called me the little shit. That was my nickname. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so. it. And uh, very proud to say all four of her daughters, all four of them my friends, um, and all four of them guests on this uh, particular show. Yep. So we just wanted to uh, – uh, she helped make four characters that helped make this show work. So uh, we uh, we love you, Aunt Sandy, you know. Um, that being said, we have a chance to uh, get in the studio together. I'm here. My name is KP Burke. I'm a, uh, a New Jersey-based comedian. <laughs> Emphasis on New Jersey lately, although I will be in Myrtle Beach this weekend with the legend Rich Voss. Uh, so if you want to, if you're in that area, come on out and see me. It's a place called The Hangout in Myrtle Beach. Me and the legend Rich Voss, just two Jersey guys, Dad, hanging out. Jersey guys. Jersey so. guys. <laughs> Jersey guys. Yeah. And uh, of course, behind the ones and twos, he's here, folks. He never got COVID. All right. Well, <laughs> That's funny. Well, I mean, this this most recent go around, he didn't get it. Yeah, um, no. But uh, isn't it weird, man? COVID. <laughs> I, I, think, I, think, I think COVID got fed up with me. Not the other way around. More than likely. Enough. <laughs> yeah. Like, no moss. No moss. <laughs> exactly. But I'll tell you what. Um, we have a great topic today. Kahuna's behind the ones and twos. All right. My father's in studio. I'm here. It feels good to be back. We're so sorry we missed a couple of weeks, guys. I, I, I forgot how much fun we have doing this show. Um, so I don't want you guys to think we ended the show either because uh, yeah. we, we didn't post for a couple of weeks. That doesn't mean it's over. Okay, folks? There's other projects coming on. but It ain't over till we say it's over. Exactly. Maybe next time we go on an extended hiatus, I'll just I'll just tase you to remember to like post. Hey, we're not dead, you know. Right. We haven't died. Not we quite dead died. yet. I'll give you a, a shot collar, so every time I'll be like, "Shot hey, collar works." There you go. That's right. So then that that way, every time I'll just zap you at a certain time, so that, that way, moving forward, you'll just know at that time. Do it. 
Well, the best part too is that uh, our listeners do spoil us. We have some regular diehards. We'll get you know some good numbers when we first put something out. But I do notice when we stop posting for a little while, everybody seems to catch up. They go through the back catalog, yeah, which is nice, and we appreciate that, guys. And it's because of you, specifically because of the founding losers over at Patreon, where for as little as three dollars a month. Uh, you can help this bad boy keep rolling. Some of you guys want to donate more. Some of you guys want to donate less. We're not at all. It's all good, man. The show's <laughs> here for you, okay? But until until I can find a way to be able to do this show uh, where it doesn't cost me money, um, we're still begging for you, okay? <laughs> right. It's PBS with F-bombs, damn it. Uh, we're, we're, not, we're not above begging. No. it's uh, All the money goes into me being able to afford uh, the studio time here at a Shared Universe podcast studio at the Bell Works in lovely Homedale, New Jersey. Thank you to the great Ming Chen, as always, sir. And, of course, he provides us with the big kahuna who has become uh, our, our producer, our third chair. Um, therapist. You're, you're a therapist, a friend. <laughs> Hostage. A lover. What? what? Bail bondsman. <laughs> uh, <laughs> bail bondsman. <laughs> mercenary. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and, and a- uh, You ain't never had a friend like me. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, he's going to know about this guy today, Dad, a little bit. And yeah, I think so. Kuna, ah, I like these. I like what I kind of know. know. Maybe. You'll know a little. Maybe. You'll know more when the movie about him comes out soon. Okay. Um, so it's a good. It's one. not out yet. No sir, no sir. So you will like this uh, today's show. And by the way, quick shout out to a couple of people, a couple of listeners of the show. Um, number one, first and foremost, being uh, the great Mike Harrington over at Gas Digital, a great friend of mine, uh, about to become a dad too. By the way, LP, mm-hmm. um, he pointed out to me that the movie Amsterdam that just came out that you and I watched right. um, is loosely about the business plot. And Smedley Butler. Did you know that, Coons? No. Did what? you see the movie? Oh, yeah, yeah. I heard it was awful. So I kind of. It was not good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was not the best work. Uh, plus, I've seen I don't lately. like supporting directors who are known dickheads. That dude who made that movie is the one who was a. Uh, He's got a, a longer yeah. laundry list of stuff. Yeah, he, um, he someone filmed him screaming in some actress's face like many, many years ago. I'm just like, I don't like that. That's old Hollywood. Uh, well, uh, my listen. take is what, uh, if it was loosely based on Smedley Butler, which was a previous episode that we covered One here of our on very American best, Loser, the real Captain America. Uh, he deserves uh, a better movie about his life. Other than, than something than that the, is other just than casually. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and uh, Christian Bale has always kills it. Everybody in the movie, a lot of good performances, but just it didn't gel together well. So um, now another large ensemble cast is coming together to uh, be a part of the movie that this guy's also making um, about this particular topic. So today's show, just as a forewarning to you guys, you'll already know the topic of the episode because it's going to be in the title because that's how we get you new people to come click and check out the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're going to have a variety of jumping off points. We will want to stop and tell you a full story in full details like we like to do on the show here. But we can't with this guy. We don't have the three to four hours. And uh, honestly, your commutes aren't that long, folks. Okay. So we're going <laughs> right. to give you. A lot of people are working at home now. So. <laughs> exactly. It's not COVID anymore. Okay. You don't need a five hour uh, epic. So um, we're going to explain what we can. Uh, we're going to move uh, forward when we have to. And we're going to tell a good condensed story about this fella because uh, our goal on this show is to focus on the less heralded parts of somebody's life. And that's what we're going to be focusing on here today, because today's loser is a hero to many, a phony to some, and even more strangely, he's oddly just not well known at all by most Americans. He has one of the greatest quotes ever. If you want to talk about a quote where um, it's almost like Johnny Cash's uh, version of Hurt, that Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails will say that it's Johnny Cash's song now. Mm -hmm. This quote is taken from an ancient Hindu scripture 
but it, it really truly belongs to today's loser. Um, as he calmly and reflectively uh, pulls this quote out from an ancient Hindu uh, script in order to describe something that was going on in his modern world as he lamented uh, and possibly regretfully described what went on to be his crowning achievement, uh, which, if you don't know, takes place in the desert of New Mexico. Nope, Kahuna just figured it out. <laughs> I, I actually didn't, so. You didn't? Not yet. All right, so I'm setting it up for you here, all right? And he does. Oh, wait a minute. It's the desert. It's New desert, Mexico. Desert, New Mexico, movies coming out. It's 1945. Are we talking about J. Robert Oppenheimer? Uh, see, I told you he knew what he was talking he, about, LP. Either, either that or he's uh, he don't let on. taking the test and he's reading my I am become <laughs> I am become death. I am become death is one of the scariest quotes. And the way that he delivers the line as he's looking down almost at his hands and describing uh, what we're going to talk about here today. It, it's insane. It's nuts. And Kahuna does know, too, that it will be uh, that is the namesake Oppenheimer of the upcoming Christopher Nolan film. Oh, my so, God. That movie looks amazing. It's, uh, it's this. If it even gets a 13th of his story, it's going to be a great movie because it's, it's incredible. Um Christopher Nolan will be making the movie. Uh, and it's about this guy, J. Robert Oppenheimer, as Kahuna said here, who is known as the father of the atomic bomb. And oh. despite being dead since 1967, he keeps seeming to pop up in our modern times over here. So, uh, LP, off the top of your head, what did you know about Oppenheimer prior to us going into this episode? Not a whole lot. I knew that I knew he was something going on with uh, the Second World War and, the, and dropping the bomb on uh, Japan to end the war. Um, but also growing up, there was the Oppenheimer Fund, <laughs> which was a, a financial uh, affairs, uh, f financial planner kind of a thing that made a big name for themselves. Um, so you can't confuse the Oppenheimer Fund with Julius Robert Oppenheimer, J. Robert Oppenheimer. The two different, two different, completely different topics. But uh, yeah, I didn't know a whole lot. Um, you know, and, it, and his greatest achievement was really done in secrecy. So uh, it wouldn't, you know, most everyday people didn't know about this guy until much later on. Then you uh, become crazy famous and then your reputation gets ruined. Right. And then you get vindicated. Unfortunately, years after your death, guys, this sounds like an American loser. <laughs> yeah. What were you going to say, Coons? I, oof. Is it okay if I embarrass myself for a second? Always, buddy. Uh, we're recording. Do right? you remember... <laughs> I showed you this in in passing years ago, but I found out about J. Robert Oppenheimer not through history books or anything like that, from epic rap battles of history <laughs> <laughs> when he versed Thanos, and I showed you this video. But anything that I remember I, that and I, I remember that yeah I, yeah we watched a couple of them that was how that was genuinely like the first time I'd ever heard of this guy, and it was such an intriguing history after learning that and then reading like, oh crap, yeah. and then finally watching that footage where he's being interviewed or he's just talking into the camera, where he's just like, for those who don't know what Kuhn is referring to is when we. Uh, Oppenheimer will be interviewed, I believe it's years after the, yeah, the Trinity later. test. Yeah, which we'll get into here in a and second. And he just looks haunted. It's uh, You could tell the gravity of the situation caught up to him here. And it's worth mentioning, too, a part of that is considered, um, this is where he becomes kind of a slightly controversial figure. I think majority of people 
and the movie's going to do him justice as well. He'll be lionized in that for sure. Um, but uh, he's an interesting guy here because he is, uh, for those who don't know, J. Robert Oppenheimer is uh, a Jewish German American born, American born, mind you, born in New York City mm-hmm. uh, of uh, Jewish German uh, uh, ancestry and culture. Um, he's born in 1904. And his intelligence will literally change the world and help to end World War II, but also essentially usher in the Cold War. So having grown up in a well-off family, very, very, I would say well-to-do, but bright people and truly lived the American dream. His father arrived here not speaking English and then wound up living uh, in a rather luxurious part of Manhattan with a, a very profitable business. Yeah, his dad came over from Germany to escape some of the harassment that was going on uh even even well before you know Nazi Germany, but uh, comes over and you know marries. Uh, uh, anti-Semitism was not a no. New it was it wasn't a, a new, a new fa- yeah. It wasn't it wasn't a new thing. Um, but marries his mother. His mother's family had been in the United States for quite some time. Um, but uh, he grows up uh, you know in a rather well-to-do uh, household. Uh, in New York's uh, fashionable side of uh, town, if you will, um, so he wasn't uh, the poor kid from the from the ghetto of New York. He was uh, no. uptown, moving on up, kind of a thing. And uh, it's worth noting too, if you want to talk about a, a little bit of. Uh, so I've heard this before. The, the the saying is, and I've heard it used in good and bad ways too. But they always say diversity is our strength. Um, what a a diverse group. The idea that a uh, um, someone of uh, Jewish heritage, if you will, from Germany. Uh, his father comes over and his son winds up helping to design the bomb that helps end World War II, which we'll get into the timeline that gets a little bit murky. That's where his um, he can be uh, the subject of uh, some discerning opinions. Mm-hmm. But uh, Oppenheimer being involved in the war effort against Nazi Germany is pretty interesting. That One of the brilliant minds left Germany because... Uh, being Jewish was, you know, definitely a, a thing. Yeah, it's, it's it time to get fashionable. out. Of, it's time to get out of Dodge at, at that point in the in the 30s uh, in Germany. But uh, yeah, he's born in 1904 um, in a rather well-to-do family, and then uh, eight years later, he's got a, a baby brother, Frank, who arrives on the scene. So the two of them grow up. But early on, it was quite apparent that. Um, Robert Oppenheimer, uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer. Bobby. Bobby. <laughs> baby, baby Bobby is uh, quite the quite the uh, the kid. I mean, his intelligence shown uh, rather bright early on, uh, very early on. That uh, this kid was this kid was special, but a little a little awkward, if you will, in the, in the social skills. Often, this, this and, uh, I really know. do think this is autism and we didn't know what to call it. Well, and it could be. It could, it <laughs> could be. Honest. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, being the family was rather well-to-do. I mean, they always dressed formally for dinner. And so they were the, the, the hoi polloi kind of a thing. Very polite, very fashionable, very well-to-do. Um, and he wasn't, uh, he wasn't, you know, uh, a, a Bowery brawler kind of a thing. He was no. uh, a, a skinny. Um, as a matter of fact, going through high school, he, he was brilliant, but uh, had no f- real friends. As a matter of fact, uh, one of his uh, you say the quote, right? one of his teachers uh, from high school um, remember him saying, um, "You know, I'm the loneliest guy in the world." That uh, he really had no friends 
um, to speak of, no real social life at all. A uh, later statement by, I believe, a college, um, <coughs> I don't know if it was a roommate or just a classmate, but uh, made the comment that um, they noted that, uh, I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll get into it. Uh, yeah, let's move it yeah. Let's move it along when we get up to, we're to that time. We're, we're, we're into his college years uh, here already because, uh, as we covered, comes from a well-off family, but he is also a, uh, a, a, a prodigy in terms of uh, intellectualism. Got to tell yeah, the origin he, of the Destroyer of Worlds. You exactly. Know. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, even even as a kid, that uh, um, early on, he has a, he visits his grandfather, I believe it's uh, back in Germany, has a, a well, vacation. Well, he did study abroad. They sent him around to various schools. And they sent him, uh, he's back in Germany with his grandfather, and his grandfather gives him a bunch of uh, minerals, rocks and stuff, and the kid is like totally fascinated with this. And immediately starts to correspond with the uh, uh, back when he gets back to New York, he starts corresponding with the New York Mineralogical Club, and they're so impressed. Now this is all through correspondence. This isn't you know face to face meeting. They don't realize it that they invite him to deliver a lecture, unaware that he's a twelve year old kid. <laughs> so, I mean, but the, but the kid is brilliant. I mean, he he just jumped into this whole mineral thing in such a yes, such a big way and in such depth that he's impressing these uh, adults that are in this uh, mineralogical club in New York. Different kind of catfishing. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Oh god. <laughs> he's not he's not uh looking for arrowheads out in the backyard kind of a thing. He's no. he's, he's he's um um, but again, he's, he's how smart you ask smart enough to graduate Harvard in less than three years. Yeah. What? Oh, and, yeah. At, and at the top of his class, top of his class, uh, genius kid. Next thing you know, he's teaching physics at Berkeley and, uh, hanging out with these local girls. He's starting to meet, he has a girlfriend at the time. And one of his college, uh, roommates actually tells him, um, he was known, and this is kind of common with a guy who's so brilliant. He has a hard time dealing with you know average everyday people so he doesn't have uh the, the small talk if you will to figure out how to navigate social uh, social situations but he does have a girlfriend and he's prone to these bouts of depression and i believe one of his quotes to dad was that uh he had told a friend confide him he goes i need physics because i don't have any friends physics is my only friend yeah um, well, while he's in in Harvard, as you said, he he graduates Harvard at the top of his one of the top tops in his class in three years. So you know, again, he's no slouch, and uh, that's like in 1922. And then at that particular time, he's in love with the whole physics field. But the United States is really like a, a second place um, second place place to be as far as physics is concerned, that if you're really delving into physics in a, in a big way, you want to be over in Europe. And um, he then goes over to uh, Cambridge in 1924 in uh, the UK, and he does his graduate work in physics in Cambridge. Mm. And that's not a, that's not a slouch Cambridge, school either. Cambridge, Harvard, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then... Uh, he is uh, asked to uh, work in the uh, Cavendish Laboratory with uh, uh, some Nobel Prize winners, one of which is J.J. Thompson. So, I mean, he's – Now, he's, if I'm correct, J.J. Thompson was uh, the enforcer for Ric Flair and the Four Horsemen in WCW. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think he was the first to jump off the ropes and land on people. Uh, I'm thinking Arn Anderson. I'm sorry. <laughs> 
That's my <laughs> fault. My fault, double A. All right. We get a call in the uh, the Wizards for that. Carifo. Carifo, <laughs> yeah. Shining Wizard Wrestling Podcast. Check them out. Um, yeah, but, uh, you know, this guy, J.J. Thompson, is a Nobel Prize winner, and he's the man who detected electrons. So, I mean, this is early on nuclear stuff and physics and all this kind of stuff and big time, uh, which really starts Oppenheimer on his atomic research. A year later, Oppenheimer then found himself in Germany. Now, this is 1926, so it's after the, the Great War, World War One, and but it's before the World War II, so it's be, between world wars, but... He's in Germany studying at the University of uh, um, Göttingen, one of the world's leading uh, centers for theoretical, 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 theoretical. Listen, the old shop teacher, get get all fucked I'll up get over it. here. I get it. I get it. Give me, <laughs> Sorry, give me, we give me a minute. The first f bomb of the episode. I got to pronounce that out. I'm putting the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. I guess. He's but fresh off like COVID. COVID folks. There you go. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a COVID fog. <laughs> theoretical physics, um, and uh, he's invited by Max Born, who's the director of the Institute of Theoretical Physics, and would soon be uh, rubbing elbows with some very well world, future world renowned um, uh, nuclear physicists and scientists. So, and he's holding his own. He's no slouch there. He's not. Uh, yeah, it's a, a bit of a, an almost an American Renaissance type period going on here. It, it's the, the great minds that are about to do great things in the great times. Um, yeah, but with all of this um, European training, now he's coming back to the United States, and like he's the he's the hot ticket on the American physics uh, scene because oh, yeah. now he's, he's bringing it back to a little young the good Sheldon old US of <laughs> There you go. He's bringing it back to the good old US of A. And he's asked to uh, to teach uh, at some of the leading facilities here in the U.S. So he's teaching at Berkeley now, and uh, seems to be that you know any girls that he likes, if you will. And keep in mind, the guy did have a girlfriend. We talked about that. Um, but uh, he, tall, slender guy, a little awkward, uh, known to be a nonstop smoker. Yeah, a chain I mean, smoker. He was a chimney. Yeah. And he's skinny to begin with, so uh, tall, skinny, tall yeah. and thin and chain smoker. A little awkward at times. Hyper brilliant, but to the point where if he was wrapped up in a problem or an equation that he was working on, even a theorem, if you will, um, he could potentially not eat for several days and he would just forget to do it. He'd be thinking too much. Maybe he was on coke. It's a see. That's what I would say right now. <laughs> right. I don't, but you can't tell because those old professors would sit there and be like, "We have this MDMA that we're using for social <laughs> yeah. gatherings. Are yeah. you on ecstasy? No." But while he was in Germany and, and going on, on these uh, um, higher levels of education and stuff, he was like totally immersed in that. That um, social life there, there was none. He was totally involved and immersed in his studies and really working hard to to keep up with uh, his workload kind of a thing. So there's these political movements going on in Europe at the time, right, Dad? Yeah. Tell, tell a, me, we're going to link this up. It, yeah. It, there's, a, there's a lot of different things going on, and, uh, and we're now in the 30s too, and don't forget hold, that- Hold up. Hold up. Let me, I'm about to marry two things here real quick. All right. So the first guy who put uh, bananas on a peanut butter- Okay. <laughs> Fluff and nutter? Bananas and peanut butter, Kahuna? That's You're grossed out by that? Yeah, never been a big thing. All right. See, this is why Chris Matt's the favorite. Anyway, um, 
<laughs> I'm sorry, we heard him. <laughs> we just got a we just got a signal from the sound room. Uh, yeah, oh, well, that's weird. Oh, there's the, some yeah. technical issues oh, with your episode. I won't be out till <laughs> fucking Friday. <laughs> anyway, back on topic here. Um, no, first what? person to put hold on. slices of banana. I'm calling Chris Mad right now. I'm gonna let him know. Be like, yo, guess what? You're the favorite. I need you to come take over the show for me. He knows already. We tell him every time. Um, so <laughs> peanut butter and bananas. The first two things that ever went together. It was a guy who enjoyed peanut butter and also enjoyed bananas. And then he put them together. And everybody was like, Is it, that doesn't make any sense. So hear me out. Um, you got this political movement going on over in Europe, specifically over in Russia at the time. But these labor movements are going on over here. So he's coming back from Europe. Uh, it's intellectually stimulating. All the young intellectual minds of the time are all talking about this. And there's girls there. That's how a young man like uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer will get brought into uh, you know, political movements, political gatherings, if you will, under the auspices of trying to get laid more than likely. <laughs> but also sitting there and be like, oh, it's kind of an interesting thing to talk about here. You know, there's chicks. That, what, what's this communism thing about? Talk to me more about this communism thing. So um, – now, communism is a buzzword, okay? It has uh, a lot of uh, negatives, uh, a lot of I – mean, actually, I can't really think of too many positives. I think the people who say that they're communists are usually douchebags. Sorry, just what it is, okay? Uh, I meet somebody who says they're a communist and it's uh, – yeah, I'm a little bit you – know, I roll my eyes at them a little bit like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's you. That's you, buddy. Uh, yeah, but you're, you're looking at that in uh, today's – Exactly. Uh, we didn't know today's what Today's glasses on, right? Uh, so. And – you got to remember what's the timeline here. We're we're in the uh, in the '30s, and there was a stock market crash that uh, put the world in a depression um, in 1929. Now, while Oppenheimer is teaching at uh, Berkeley, and he's also teaching at the same time at, at Caltech, mm -hmm. um, so <laughs> there's some pretty smart people there. And when he first starts teaching. Um, at those two institutions, he's not doing real well because he's so up up in the stratosphere with his own um, mental powers, his own uh, his own mind that uh, he had a hard time relating to uh, Joe College. That, <laughs> that oh. even though there's very smart kids going to Berkeley and Caltech, um, he didn't really fare too well. He eventually, He's a nerd's nerd. yeah. He eventually learns how to teach, um, you know, which is a skill set in itself. Um, he learns how to teach and and starts to. I don't know what whether you're dumbing it down or just in his approach. His lectures became more interesting. That people are now clamoring to get into his classes. Initially, that wasn't the case. Well, especially as a student, when he often would take over. Uh, you know, conversation in a classroom to the point where I think there was a couple of his classmates had to circulate a um, a vote, if you will, or a ballot that sign your name here on this petition uh, to make uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer stop talking so much during class. They never <laughs> actually gave it to him. They just left it out in plain sight for him. And he noticed it and he was like, oh, I he, guess got the, he got the clue. I, I believe I'm talking too much. Yeah. Rate my teacher. Is this dude just real life Sheldon? From yes. Big Bang it's theory? all there, Kahuna. It's yeah. all there. Yeah. Now imagine Sheldon, but that little blonde girl goes, what about communism? Yeah. And yeah, oh, so he's God. attending these meetings. So uh, now th th you're making an excellent point too here, by the way, sir. Yeah, but he starts to get a cult following. He, he goes from like, this guy is just 
too far out there that I can't really understand what the hell he's talking about with his lectures, that he learns how to teach and, and converse to others. So he's starting to develop some social skills to a certain degree that he becomes a very popular uh, professor and it's actually a, a cult-like following that they become known as Oppies Boys. <laughs> that, uh, that's uh, that's the gang, kind of the Oppies, oh Oppies Boys. And people are now wanting to take his sa- the same class again twice just so they can have him as a as a you know as a professor kind of a thing. There's some people Mark Riccadon always talks about. There's some people that were born to be 35. So all the years before. <laughs> Leading up to this, you know, it was going to be awkward for him. And and Kahuna's laughing too because he knows it's true, especially about Mark. Some people are born to be 35. That's when they come into their own. They figure out their stuff. The capacity for doubt goes away. And I will say this, probably getting laid a little bit was helping out. Now, also, he is, like most cult figures, he's a mentally ill guy. We would diagnose this nowadays. His bouts of depression were so bad. They were talking about when he would uh, – he would smoke uh, a chain smoke cigarettes. He got into pipe smoking later on. So he would always have a packed pipe going. Yeah. Um, he'd also, he was also noted for having some pretty outlandish uh, parties at his house where he'd invite the students to his house and, you know, drinking all weekend and, and that kind of thing. So, I mean, he so was- get a little booze in loos- the guy. Loosened up, up a little, little bit, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah but uh, then he uh, has a girlfriend, uh, Jean uh Tatlick, Tatluck, I think her name was. Titlick. There you go. Uh, whatever. <laughs> that works too. <laughs> but uh, this is like 1936 to 1939. And she is a graduate uh, student. So she's you know, you know, some 18-year-old uh, uh, co-ed kind of a thing. She's a grad student, but she's a psychology major. And take it from firsthand experience. You don't want to date a psychology major. That's uh, that's a losing <laughs> that's a losing battle. Um, and how does that make you feel? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, but she's got. Uh, you just want to fuck your own mother. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Hey, wait a minute. Time out a minute. Uh, uh, but uh, this oh, like, this new girlfriend on. is a communist. Uh, he's not really a card-carrying communist per se, but he's associating going to some meetings and that type of stuff. And he never officially joins the party, which is uh, another point of contention. No. and then, uh, But then right around the same time frame, uh, his baby brother Frank shows up in California. And Frank is most definitely a card-carrying communist. So um, the, the family, other family members are, are communists, but you got to, you know, we think now communists, that's bad. It's evil. It's no good. It's the Soviet Union and all this kind of thing. And, you know, uh, oh, communist uh, Russia. You're dating yourself. It's, um, it's being, uh, there's, there's a little bit of a communist renaissance going on now. People are allowed to say they're communists yeah, I, on hinge profiles and Tinder profiles. It's very weird. Yeah. But like, again, though, in the 1930s, you got to remember you, alluded to it that, you know, things were not going real well in Russia and they had this revolution with the communists in Russia and that was a bloodbath. Uh, but in this country, we're having all kinds of labor strikes. People are are, are dying in shirt waste factory fires and uh, in coal miners are, are being shot at. Um, uh, labor unions are um, having uh, private police forces going in there and, and shooting people in this country. Um, so 
And then we have a stock market crash in, in 29 and now, you know, vast numbers of people are out of work. So hey, that capitalism thing, that's not working out so swell either. So maybe we ought to give something else a try. Maybe this communist thing is the answer. So there was a lot of people that were social, searching yeah. for answers. There's always a, uh, this is another good point too. Uh, socialism has often bailed out uh, crony capitalism the same way, in, on the same token rather. Uh, there's been a couple of times that capitalism's completely funded socialism. So the same way that um, the government institutions are forced to provide bailout money uh, for industries that are reckless in their you know, spending and stuff like that. It's also the same way that, uh, you know, a guy like JP Morgan will get a, you know, hey, uh, President Roosevelt says uh, you have to pay him this much or he breaks up your whole business. Right. So it, it, it's there's a lot of we're, we're using terms and we're doing a good job of it, too, by the way. And thank you for that. Um, of trying to explain what the terms meant right now versus what they meant back then. Right. So um, the way I'm saying it, I, I laugh about this because you see enough Brooklyn hipster girls that say communist in their dating profiles online. And you're just like, what fucking world am I in right now? You know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? really. So, but I think that would be what it was. Well, let me find out what communism is so I know how to talk to this pretty girl. I think that's what lured in uh, a lot of people, one of them also being our boy, Mr. Oppenheimer here. Right. Uh, Dr. Oppenheimer, I should say. Yeah, but the, again, he was so socially inept, if you will, that um, it, was, uh, it was said that in the, the stock market crash of 29 – that he's teaching at Berkeley and, and at Caltech at the time. Oh, I'm about to. And he doesn't have a phone. He doesn't listen to the radio. He doesn't read a newspaper. He's like in his own in his own mind, in his own world, that he wasn't even aware that there was a stock market crash. It wasn't until his students coming into class and he can see how they're now in, in desperate times because of uh, – the, the depression that followed the stock semester, market crash. Right. Yeah. Uh, can I afford I to, to be here? On the that, farm. Um, he now starts to become uh, like politically uh, awoken as to what's going on in the world around him and starts listening or paying attention to what's going on over uh, over in Germany with uh, with the little fellow with the, with the funny mustache that uh, is making some noises over there. And um, the persecution of the Jews, the crystal knock and all that type of thing leading up to, uh, you know, 1939, which is when uh, Germany invades in, into Poland. Now, we've, we've got a shooting war. We got World War II just started in, in 1939. Oh, yeah. So, And think um, about this one, too, because we're going to set up the, uh, the time frame here in a second. As we like to do on this show, Lawrence Patrick Burke with the Zeitgeist, folks. He still does it for you. <laughs> Four years running, he's still doing it for you. Um, the point about communism at the time, uh, the Communist Party in America was kind of a fun and exciting new way to look at the world following World War I. Political liberals are often drawn to it as a sense of labor reforms and workers' rights being preached as main tenets, while the whole Russian Revolution thing kind of makes it look bad. So whatever you wanted to – if you decided to be uh, – have a positive outlook on them, it was easy to find people that shared your opinion and vice versa. So that being said um, – you're keeping an open mind. It's a sign of intelligence. Good old Oppenheimer keeps his mind open to the ideas of that are being discussed at these meetings. It doesn't hurt, like I said, chicks are there. Unfortunately, doing a few things in the 1930s that you find intellectually stimulating on a boring Friday night might get you into some trouble down the road, especially with names like Senator Joe McCarthy and Roy Cohn getting involved down the road. Okay, 
So a little foreshadowing there and also a little loser reception. Check out the Joseph McCarthy episode, which I believe is Patreon only $3 a month. <laughs> We're capitalists on this show. Smooth, smooth. Um, but, uh, but before his accomplishments in the 40s, and this is a sentence right here, Kahuna. This is mm-hmm. a sentence. If you want to know about Oppenheimer and why he's the subject of today's episode of American Loser, um, before his accomplishments in the 40s can be undermined in the 50s for things that he did in the 30s. Did you pick up on that? Yeah, that was a nice line. One more time? Before the accomplishments of one J. Robert Oppenheimer, before his accomplishments in the 1940s can be undermined in the 1950s for things that he did in the 1930s. Okay? Oh. We have to talk about the accomplishments, and there are plenty of them, okay? But the obvious big ticket item is his role in the creation of the atomic bomb. Oppenheimer was arguably obsessed with physics, and his friends noticed that although he seemed to come alive during discussions about physics, he was, again, a chain-smoking animal who would come alive when you talked to him about this stuff. He also showcased some deep psychiatric issues at the time. He suffered bouts of depression, like we talked about, very common, and his anger occasionally got the best of him. A college friend of his uh, noticed that um, J. Robert Oppenheimer was in a, a very bad way, you know, wasn't eating for a couple of days, very depressed, very moody. And he goes, uh, hey, uh, your girlfriend, uh, you know, what's her name? Yeah, I wouldn't mind marrying her to just to try to goad him into like getting some sort of a reaction. And Oppenheimer attacked him. Oppie, <laughs> so, what's good, man? What's going on? Started exactly. to choke him. Uh, he ch- started, yeah. And then uh, the guy was bigger than him and just kind of pushed Pipsqueak uh, uh, Oppenheimer away. But still, you could see that there was uh, – he could show some teeth sometimes if he had to. He was apolitical for much of his early life. And uh, again, like you said, Dad, what a what a weird thing that he doesn't know there's a, a stock market crash. It's kind of crazy. Um, he does not pay much attention to politics until 1934. Big, 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 big thing to mention here. He also doesn't vote until 1936 when he voted in the presidential election that kept Franklin Delano Roosevelt in the White House during the Great Depression. Oppenheimer in 1934 also began what would be a couple of years worth of an effort of earmarking part of his own personal paycheck to go towards uh, funding of a group that was bringing over physicists from Germany that were attempting to flee persecution. People knew shit was going on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That wasn't an overnight thing. Oh, no. (laughs) A a lot of population dispersed over there. Uh, A lot of the intellectuals got out because they could see kind of the the militaristic ways that were going on for what we are going to later on. And again, by the way, you want to talk about we didn't quite know what communism was back then? A lot of people are like, oh, yeah, it's the fascists. They're a labor rights movement. Fascist. Yeah. That means the sticks that are all together. You can't break all the sticks at once. It, it's a good thing. It's very. Just as we had the Nazi party here in the United States. And we, that was a previous what? episode. It's the, the German American boond, man. It's a good <laughs> time. Yeah. All right. There you go. Drink St. a little Paulie's beer, girl. do a little dance. Come on. <laughs> Make a little love. Yeah. Exactly. Get down tonight. There you go. <laughs> uh, but uh, Oppenheimer, again, fascinating guy here. Now, Kuhn, I'm going to ask you this question. When do you think um, the president of the United States – and I'll ask you I'll ask you what president because it kind of coincides. But um, Teddy motherfucking – no. <laughs> no. He, he would uh, – It's a Roosevelt, but not Teddy motherfucking. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> but when do you think that we started working on the atomic bomb? When? Yeah. Because the answer – it shook me up a little bit today. I would I mean the war I would say I would say the early 30s we maybe started working on it 
I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. No, I I, d- there's no wrong answers on this one here. So, Kona, it's very interesting because the answer is oddly, we started working on the atomic bomb two full months before the U.S. gets involved in World War II. So uh, we are not two actively, months prior to Pearl Harbor. Yeah, which I, was 1941. So Whoa. pretty wild that we were already working on it before we officially entered the war. Kind of eggs on some of the conspiracy theories that we knew we were getting involved. We were just waiting for an yeah, opportunity a reason. to justify it. Well, the, the backstory to that, well, backstory to, to, to rewind that just a little bit too. In 1939, right, um, three, German, three German scientists discovered this thing called nuclear fission that – Vast amounts of energy can be derived from from this whole nuclear thing. Um, in September of 1939, Hitler invades Poland, and that starts the, the World War. Um, with with that, there's a lot of um, scientists, intellectuals, and everything else who are now trying to escape Germany long before that, and they're warning people, but nobody's really listening to them as to what's going on in Germany. Um, and then finally, some of these um, scientists who have escaped Germany pull in Albert Einstein, who also escaped Germany, and these scientists and, uh, with Burke, he with Albert Einstein, and now you, I mean Albert Einstein was world renowned, uh, you know, um, scientist in his own regard, um, and he has a meeting with Roosevelt and finally convinces Roosevelt that this nuclear fission thing is has such a vast amount of energy that. If the Nazis are able to develop that into a bomb, we got we got a, a real shitstorm facing us here. That um, if we don't if we don't um, build that nuclear bomb before the Nazis, um, it's it's game over kind of thing. That they they are going to absolutely rule the world. Um, so with that, um, Roosevelt then um, initiates this whole nuclear development type of a thing. But this is a, a whole big secret project. Um, nobody really knows what's going on and for obvious reasons that, uh, you know, we're in a race, um, to beat the Nazis. And then, you know, two months later, um, um, Japan, um, launches its attack on Pearl Harbor. So that's December 7th, 1941. So now the U S is in a, in a for real war. And they're against uh, Germany and, and Japan. So, um, yeah, there's, there's a definite race that, Who's going to be able to develop this nuclear bomb first, us or the Nazis? Who's it's, getting blown up first? That's <laughs> right. the truth, Minister. And by the way, so the, the thing about Craig Ferguson. <laughs> um, there's a couple things worth noting here. So obviously, the the project, for lack of a better term, Dad, that we're about to talk about, uh, the secretive project here they're working on, will become known as the Manhattan Project. Okay. Was there any particular reason why it was called the Manhattan Project? Is, yeah, because uh, some of the Actually, the Manhattan Project was divided up into like a bunch of different locations, one of which was in one of these think tanks, one of these universities in Manhattan. So they just gave it the handle, the, the Manhattan Project, although the Manhattan Project was actually in 
New Mexico was in Manhattan and Illinois. I think yeah, too. it was so so secret. Fighting Illini underneath their basketball court or something, <laughs> wasn't that? Yeah, it was. I'm not sure whether it might have been. Yeah, I think there was a location in Chicago. I'm pretty as well. sure it was underneath yeah. the University of Illinois basketball court was where they were working on. I in, remember in that. Secrecy. It, it sticks out. Right. that was on the Rosenbergs episode. Yeah, and about. there was so many uh, so many different facets to this whole thing. It's not just learning how to you know split the atom and, and uh, nuclear fission and everything else i mean you've got all kinds of stuff that has to be uh engineered and thought out and, and worked on to, to develop this thing and you're going to start with um fine-tuning uranium so that took place in one location did you hear what oppenheimer's note was they left for his communist girlfriend uh, when he was time to go off to get to work on the Manhattan Project? No. Gone fishing. Gone fishing? <laughs> a little bump. Kahuna wrote that, folks. Gone fishing or yeah. fusion? I thought it read, you are the bomb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I can split atoms, but no one can split us apart. <laughs> there you go. Oh, Another yeah. one of with, my originals. Talking about splitting us apart, though, in 1940, uh, Oppenheimer also marries uh, one... Uh, uh, Young lady, Kitty, uh, what's the name? Pewing. Can we bring that back, by the way? Catherine. All right, go to, to Catherine, Kitty. Catherine. Catherine yeah. Kitty. Kitty. Um, uh, she's a radical Berkeley student and a former Communist Party member. That's right. So, for whatever hey, reason, now, he didn't really spend me. he didn't really spend a whole lot of time with her because, again, he's so wrapped up in this whole Manhattan Project. And um, there's a general, Leslie Groves, um, who. Um, Roosevelt puts in charge of this whole top secret Manhattan project. The biggest piece of the whole puzzle was you know, how are we going to take this refined uranium and all this other stuff that has to come together and actually make a bomb out of it. And that is where it was, uh, that was the key piece is to bring in all these theoretical things together and turn theory into reality. And that's what happened in Los Alamos in, in New Mexico. Los Alamos, what do you mean by Los Alamos? Los Alamos, yeah. What's that's going on in the home of the big Gordo, boy, New Mexico? <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean that's uh, and then um, it was by um, it was by this General uh, Groves, uh, Leslie Groves, that uh, he is back in Oppenheimer to head this whole project. The key component to that is in Los Alamos, where they're actually going to put this whole bomb thing together. Um, and, you know, it, Oppenheimer wasn't really received with open arms. He's a freaking college professor and he wasn't really that good at doing that. And he's a weirdo. I mean, he's a, he's got no social skills and everything else. And now we're saying this weird catchphrase, Bazinga, (laughs) he's a fucking weirdo. Um, so, um, he's put in charge of this, uh, this thing in Los Alamos and why Los Alamos will, because it was a very remote location, so they could maintain secrecy. Excuse me. He's fading, folks. He's <clears throat> fading. All right. Sorry. Maybe we'll do something in post about that one so we don't have people complaining. Um, lots going on in Alamo Gordo, New Mexico. Um, obviously, that's going to lead up towards this. Is uh, The goal of the Manhattan Project is to be able to create this atomic bomb, which is going to be we know it's going to have to be used. And the whole thing too, right, Dad, that you're kind of explaining and doing a great job of it is that you have to beat the Germans to this. This is the march against time. This is – you have to get – Indiana Jones, you need to get your hands on this lost ark That's right. before Hitler does. 
That's it. That's what we're doing right now. Except instead of Harrison Ford, we've got a bunch of brainiac geeks that we're putting together. But there are brainiacs and geeks. You know what I'm saying? So they go ahead. They get this thing going here. And again, obviously, they've been working on it for two months prior to Pearl Harbor. They've got plenty of time on it. But still, this is a feat that has never been done before. Yeah. This is something brand new. Uh, they're, they're literally playing the, – the term playing God uh, comes into effect here because these are uh, – as Kahuna alluded to earlier, the, the great speech that we're going to talk about in a second from Oppenheimer, he quotes Vishnu from the Hindu scriptures, I am become death now, the destroyer of worlds. I'm sorry and, I jumped the gun on that one. No, dude. But people know that quote and now obviously we're trying to give the backstory to it. The Manhattan Project, again, this uh, successful Trinity test. Do you know why they called it the Trinity test, Dad? Did you know that one? Uh, no, I didn't quite catch that. There's a couple of reasons for it. But um, in 1941, the Trinity test uh, – I'm sorry, from 1941 until the Trinity test in 1945, Oppenheimer is leading this Manhattan Project, which will help bring about the creation of the world's first atomic bomb. Uh, again, this is going to be going down in Alamo Gordo, New Mexico over here. So obviously you see – and this is uh, – if, have you seen the footage before, Kahuna? Everybody has. It's almost B-roll at this point. For the first time, you see that mushroom cloud hit? Yeah. And how epic that is. I mean, it, it's scary. That's not the one where we see the like the fake houses and stuff get destroyed, right? No, that was a nuclear test later. But yeah, but yeah so, the mushroom cloud footage. What's crazy, too, is that um, – and, and I'm not even kidding that there's a farmhouse out there. Did you pick up on uh, the farmhouse? Yeah, well, the, the – um the research facility was at one time, I think, a boys' camp kind of a thing. So there was some barracks there, but I think there was a McDonald farm. So old McDonald had a farm. E I E I H two O. I gotta stop writing you jokes. Man. <laughs> <laughs> it was one hundred percent true, man. But um, again, they're able to pull off the successful test specifically on July sixteenth, nineteen forty-five. Now the bomb's creation had been okayed by Franklin Delano Roosevelt. The plan was highly successful and was kept in total secrecy. So much so, in fact, Kahuna, all right, if I told you that FDR is the man who signed off on the project to create this, again, FDR, a great American. Um, you, you, our country has a way of shitting out the right leader at the right time uh, mm -hmm. for whatever the movement is. And that, that goes beyond – that's bipartisan. Um, so if FDR is agreeing to this and FDR, unfortunately, will pass away and die in office – um, you know who comes after him, Kahuna? It's okay because a lot of people don't. And uh, After I, Oppenheimer? No, after, no. after FDR. After FDR yeah. for approving this? For, no, for FDR. The, the now president of the United States. FDR has passed away in office, which by the way, his death was considered like um, uh, an omen by Hitler. So Hitler thought they're like, oh, uh, I mean, I know yeah, the war's not going was, our way. Because he was into the spooky shit. Big time. Big time uh, mm -hmm. into the occult and stuff like that. Uh, just like Jack Steiger. Um, anyway, so – I got them both in the room. We got Kahuna just as he was taking a drink of water. Um, but anyhow, uh, Jack, one of my great friends. Don't spew in the mic, Kahuna. Exactly. <laughs> but the whole key was is that now if FDR is the guy that um, is the president that signed off on this, when he dies in office, he's going to be replaced by his vice president, who in this instance is Harry, as Grammy would say, Dad. S, S for, for nothing. nothing. <laughs> Truman. Okay. So Harry Truman comes in. Get, get a load of this one. Kuna, you're Harry Truman, okay? And I'm one yes, of your- Yes, how you doing? Hi. I'm one of your generals. I just came in eight. Uh, sir, congratulations on swearing in and becoming the president of the United States. Hey, thanks. What were you doing making a fucking comedy special while we're trying to figure this shit out? We should probably <laughs> talk about the atomic bomb. Have you heard of it, sir? Yes, I would hope. <laughs> no. No. No, Harry Truman goes, whoa, what? We- 
hang on, what is it? And we have one? <laughs> Dude. Also, my silence was accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. FDR uh, did not. Not that he didn't trust. Chew on that, Nolan. But uh, no, the the vice president. The Manhattan Project was so top secret. The vice president did not know it existed. And this was amazing, too, because by the end of the uh, Manhattan Project, what started out with a couple hundred guys involved is now at Los Alamos, Oppenheimer is dealing with 6,000 people. 6,000 people. And then you talk about. Some college professor that never had a major project before, and now he's dealing with this top secret thing. And you know, all these scientists, all these brainiacs are there with their wives, with their families and everything else living in Los Alamos under extreme army security. Uh, any Everywhere Oppenheimer went and all these other scientists went, they were being dogged. I mean, his mail was being opened. His, his phones were tapped. Um, he, couldn't, he couldn't fart without... Um, Everybody else knowing about it, kind of a thing. That, Good thing uh, he loved what he did for a living. Yeah, <laughs> um, but I mean, he was definitely. That's how deeply committed he was, and um, you know, the whole driving force. As you said it before, Kevin. The whole driving force is we got to beat the Nazis to this thing, otherwise, uh, you know, it's it's a game over, kind of a thing. But Truman had no idea that this top secret thing was so secret that even the vice president of the United States didn't know it, it even existed. Now, the- he didn't really come to know about it. I don't know if you found this in your thing, but um, it was when Truman was going, I think, to the uh, the Potsdam conference, which was held at the end of the world. The, the, world war, the world War II was winding down. It became very apparent that Germany was going to lose this thing. And then Stalin and Churchill and Truman get together to try to figure out what's going to happen. Yeah, what's going to happen after the war is over? Who's who's getting what kind of a thing? And how are we going to divide up the rest of the world? And that's when Truman came to understand that we've got this little thing in my vest pocket here called the the, uh, nuclear bomb. You see this right here? These are my balls and I don't break them for nobody. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So he had a a trump card, uh, you know. Held in his uh, in his vest pocket there to uh, just to let the Ruskies know, and they you know they didn't want to believe it that, that so, we we had it and they didn't. Yeah, in finishing a fight, you see this in boxing sometimes, and also in MMA, is that a, a a fighter when they know that they're winning, they will tend to put on a more spectacular performance or go for a big finish because they know that the next fight is coming. They're trying to send a message and secure the next payday. In this case right here, we're talking about. This I did not know until recently. I, I really, I'm, I, I'm not saying I disregarded the Manhattan Project because obviously you always respect it, and uh, it's in every history book um, out there because it's a monumental event in uh, human history, truthfully, and just the facts that the Americans got to it first. Um, Nazi Germany was already defeated by the time the Trinity Test went down. Do you know that? Yeah, yeah. So, so we had we had V. E-Day, victory in Europe, but we still did not have victory over Japan. And that war was going to go on for another two months, I believe. Um, And and there are some people that were saying that the Japanese were angling for uh, some sort of a surrender. Um, There were other people that also knew that the the Japanese military, specifically Imperial Japan, which goes um, the the samurai culture um, purveying out of every facet of the government there, that that was going to be... uh, that an invasion of Japan would take multiple generations of lives to pull off. It would not have been realized in our time. Well, so, yeah. 
I mean, they they, oh, yeah. they already saw what went on with Okinawa and how they were fighting to the last man, and they were already training civilians in Japan proper with sharpened bamboo sticks and stuff that they were going to oh, yeah. fight it, it the uh, been... fight the invasion the the on you know the the coming invasion of Japan. Um, they would have fight to the to the last. Um, with honor kind of a thing that even if it if we don't have a rifle well we'll just take a sharpened stick and we'll fight you with a with a sharpened stick yeah it's, um, it's so crazy they, to think about and they they, they proved that in uh, okinawa in some of the other previous campaigns at the now imagine the that you are a veteran who has now fought let's say you landed on the beaches in d-day and let's say that you fought through the battle of the bulge and you have gotten into Germany now. You've crossed the Rhine. You've gotten into Germany. You have seen the end of Hitler, if you will. Maybe perhaps you saw one of those terrifying camps that uh, were existing in certain right. parts of uh, Europe at the time. And then they tell you, all right, go home. See your girlfriend for a little bit. And then we got to go do it all again in yeah. Japan. Saddle up because we're now moving everybody over to the Pacific now that the war is uh – uh, we've, we've defeated Nazi Germany, but and you know Italy is no longer uh, a threat. Um, so now the only 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 game left is Japan. So we're just going to move the whole shift of operations to uh, Japan. Now, uh, after the atomic bombs use uh, authorized by Harry S. for nothing Truman. And by the way, I have nothing against Truman. <laughs> I just like that my my grandmother is one of the sweetest. No, your I... your great grandmother actually was great grand. Yeah, because oh, okay. my mother's mother that would refer to uh, Harry Truman. He had a middle initial S, but the S didn't really stand for anything. It wasn't like Stephen or Samuel or anything like that, but she always referred to him as Harry S for nothing, Truman. <laughs> she wasn't a fan of Harry Truman. It sounds like Hiram Ulysses Grant. Yeah, there you go. Hug. Um, anyway, after the use of the atomic bomb, as designed by Oppenheimer and the rest of uh, his cohorts involved with uh, the successful Trinity test as a result of a brilliant, um, you know, I guess it's really an experiment at, at its heart. It really was an experiment uh, to create this you know, Manhattan Project, which gave us, yielded us atomic weapons. And uh, we are obviously able to use them against Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And many of them, uh, many people involved are in absolute awe. Now, th there's also a, a jubilant, idea here too that by dropping these bombs japan surrendered almost immediately thereafter um again that's where this some of the uh the folks who are uh, oppenheimer detractors will say that uh you know japan was trying to surrender and they wanted to do a live test on this because they wanted to show russia hey fuck with us see what we got you know what i mean so th that's where some of the people are coming yeah out there's a lot of uh, a lot of theories there's behind that but and when you see time, the, the, yeah. the total for, when I say awesome, we think awesome is a good thing. The awesome power, the un, it, it's unnerving. You look at a, a, the, the mushroom cloud and, you know, it, you realize that everything around it is, uh, it, it's gone. You know, it, it's a little, it, it is, it is I am become death. It is true. It is the yeah. ultimate doomsday machine. The crater is a half mile across. So. Exactly. And if you're <laughs> lucky enough to live through the blast... Oh, have some fun with the fallout, buddy. Right. So. right. And they had to wait. They had to wait and wait and wait for the right conditions in Los Alamos before they exploded the, the test, if you will, to make sure that the weather conditions and everything else were, were correct. Because if the wind was going in the wrong direction, all of that nuclear fallout would have been blown across, um, you know, populated sections of uh, New Mexico. 
So we would have been killing our own civilians kind of a thing. So, um, you know, that was a, a long waiting period before they could finally test the thing. And actually there was, there was two bombs that were developed, fat boy and a uh, fat man and little boy. One was uh, with uranium. The other one was with plutonium. Um, and that's the, one the, of them delivered by the Enola Gay, obviously. And then that bomb was carried on the USS Indianapolis. All right. Little right. loserception for you there, right. folks. Uh, the pilot of that craft, by the way, do you know his name, Dad? <coughs> Paul Tibbetts. Oh, I had it as Christian Cordes. Maybe I'm wrong. Huh? I know it's coming. Oh, it could be. I get it off Wikipedia. Someone's live editing the article. Um, <laughs> Paul Tibbetts, Tibbetts Field. Um, but yes, we have now dropped these bombs. Japan does wind up surrendering. As the Cold War tensions are going to continue to grow now, rational minds are often being disregarded as they're saying, well, hey, uh, that's. I'm glad the war's over, and I think we had to do that to end the war with Japan because we saved a lot more American lives. But isn't it a little concerning now that we have a doomsday device? What should we do about that? <laughs> and by the way, I, I'm saying this as a gun owner. I believe in a lot of gun laws. I do. Um, I, I don't think you should be stupid about them, and I think people should be informed about them to have a, a good opinion on them. Uh, I just think guns are bad. You shouldn't have guns. That's dumb. Be responsible, understand what you're doing here. Oppenheimer, there's no more qualified person to have a, a, a thoughtful opinion yeah. on what we should do with atomic energy, yeah. especially it, then this guy. He should be the guy that you're listening to right now. He's the, he should be <laughs> um, listened to quite carefully and unfortunately, he's not. Oppenheimer is a famous man following the test and the use of the atomic bomb. He will actually meet with President Truman on several occasions to discuss his concerns that the thing that he was an integral part of the creation of might also be the key to the engine of mankind's own demise. Oppenheimer <sighs> was hoping for international controls on nuclear weapons. Again, this is this is where that fantasy thing comes in. And I'll say it, that's what, this what to me, that's what the lure of communism is. You're like, wouldn't it be great if everybody just got along and we all kind of worked together and everybody profited off of that? Wouldn't that be great? It would be great. But I know a lot of dickheads. <laughs> yeah. All it takes is one dickhead. I, I'd rather have a bunch of dickheads and then you find somebody who's decent to work with than one dickhead who tells you, oh, by the way, uh, <laughs> I need – and that's what happens. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. My father taught me that. Um, but uh, Truman is – and I, I feel for him on this one. I really do. Oppenheimer says, what if we have international controls? What if we get a bunch of the – oh, the other countries are going to tell us what to do with – I mean nobody – you know. It's yeah, like, at this particular point in time, the only people who have an atomic bomb is the United States. Oh, yeah. And um, Oppenheimer is kind of revulsed when he sees the destruction on, on the two cities that the bombs were dropped on, that he's kind of uh, – um, I mean, would you not be too? Realizes, realizes <laughs> oh, yeah. what he has created is this awesome power. And now, there, now there's um, people that are starting to say, well – Hey, that ain't nothing. Wait till you see with this new thing we got. We got a hydrogen bomb coming out. And that hydrogen bomb, that's a thousand times more powerful than what they dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So, I mean, a thousand times more powerful. You thought powerful that was a boom? Check out our boom. Yeah, we got, we got a bigger boom. Um, <laughs> and, but, you know, and. Um, Kuna, can you pull up uh, the Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer speech, by the way? Can we play that on the, the audio? Will they hear sure, that? Sure, no problem. Also, I apologize that I say something stupid and you get dragged into the stupid. I just tried that's to right. simplify these things, yeah. man. That's a boom boom stick for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a big boom boom stick. You see it too, by stick. the way, is that when 
the the technology comes out, the next there's people who are immediately thinking, all right, bigger and better. And there's other people like, whoa, whoa, do we need that? Like you're seeing it right now with AI. Uh, whenever Google has like a this uh, uh, artificial intelligence dog can run up to 90 miles an hour. Like, hang on, can you use that to? Is that going to hunt me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can we stop inventing Terminators? Yeah. So well, I mean, isn't that's what we saw with the nuclear arms race? That eventually we came to the conclusion that. Hey, how many times are we going to be able to blow up the world? I mean, we've got so many different things going on here that uh, you know, how many times over do, is the earth no longer in existence because we blew it up like 3,000 times over? You maniacs. <laughs> yeah. Damn you maniacs. Um, I'll tell you what. If, Kuna, do you have it uh, yeah. queued up? LP, if you want to put your headphones on just for a hot second, we're going to hear Oppenheimer. So this is a very famous interview. This is a, well after the Trinity. This is where you're hearing. Well, a, there's a, two a, versions. Do you want the 54 second or the full two minutes? Uh, play the 54 second one because I, I believe, and, and most people know the quote here too, but this is uh, for the, obviously it, this is a podcast, but um, mm-hmm. you're going to see it that uh, you know, if you were looking at Oppenheimer, this is a guy who's, the, the body language is downtrodden, upset, and kind of realizing uh, depressed. The, the top <laughs> comment is my favorite on this video. Uh-oh. Man legit invented not only a city level weapon, but invented the first apology video and did it better than anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> it is definitely, um, you can see that there's a, a hint of regret. <laughs> well, totally. And, and uh, some a people, of regret. some people argue that when it first happened, that there's some accounts that were like, that he was smiling during the Trinity test. Like, Look what I did. Look what we, my God, we've accomplished this. Yeah, it was success, success, because yeah. nobody knew that whether this thing was going to work or not. That's why they had to test the damn for, thing. For oh, a yeah. scientist to witness that type of massive success, when that is not what really science is all the time, is of course you're going to smile, but then afterwards you're going to realize, oh, holy crap, right. look what I did. What, what? So a crowning moment, my, my father's son, you know what I mean, is a... a He's a smart kid. He loves history. He's knowledgeable. He can talk to people. He's comfortable in front of a crowd. What career in politics? Oh, he's going to be a fucking comic. Are you kidding me? (laughs) That's what happened with Oppenheimer. He goes, I've made this incredible thing and we're going to use it to destroy people and level everybody. The new world will not be the same. Few people laughed. Few people cried. Most people were silent. scripture, the Bhagavad Gita, Vishnu is trying to persuade the prince that he should do his duty and to impress him takes on his multi-armed form and says, now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. I suppose we all thought that one way or another. Man's holding back tears while he's talking yeah. to you. And he ain't a fraudulent guy. He doesn't have the um, – because uh, unfortunately, a lot of psychopaths are uh, um, have good people skills and uh, <laughs> are good good frauds, good actors or whatever. He is not one of them um, because he's, he's sincere in this. And again, I totally get it. He goes over there. He goes – President Truman, let's talk about this. Maybe international controls. Maybe there's a group of people we have to talk to about what we're going to do with this. And Truman goes, hey, uh, Russia's looking at me. I'm watching them try to build one of these right now. I'm not giving mine up so that you can feel better about going to bed at night. So 
I totally get the dilemma that both men are in. Now, again, Oppenheimer's concerns and hopes, which, by the way, no one is more qualified to have an opinion on it than him. I'll I'll say that steadfastly. Um, But his concerns are going to fall on the deaf deaf ears as Truman's focus on the coming storm with Russia is going to make him disregard the famed physicist. So when Oppenheimer exclaims that he felt that, Mr. President, there is blood on my hands here, I feel compelled to act – after witnessing the destruction of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Oppenheimer was told by Truman, the blood's on my hands. You don't worry about it. I'll handle that and kicks him out of the White House. Thanks for making the atomic bomb. Don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out, yeah. fella. So, Yeah, I also found the quote that the president had little time for Oppenheimer's uh, moralistic stance, uh, if you will. And uh, supposedly he... Uh, stated to his aides after the meeting with Oppenheimer, quote, I never want to see that son of a bitch in this office again. <laughs> so, you know. He said that about Oppenheimer? Yeah, Truman said that about Oppenheimer, that, uh, you know, he, again, you know, there's so many different viewpoints here that at the close of the Second World War, the Soviet Union, Russia, was not our bosom buddy. They were our allies simply because they on were fighting paper. Yeah. Uh, on paper, simply because they were, you know, the enemy of, of my enemy is, you know, my friend kind of a thing. Um, but, you know, uh, the Soviet Union had already started moving into Manchuria and everything else after the war in Europe was over. Now they're moving troops and everything else towards the Pacific to Japan so that they can start claiming large swaths of territory uh, at the at the conclusion of that because, you know, let's face it, they knew that Japan was going to eventually have to surrender too. So they're, they're looking to uh, divide up the spoils. So, I mean- So Truman- who are our two biggest enemies too, by the way? Think about this one for a hot sec because this, this gets a little unnerving when you talk about the geopolitical thing that's going on. Uh, and these are things that we're talking about from the 1930s and the 1940s and 1950s. And however, they still have an absolute effect on us today here. The reason that it's worth mentioning is because- Here's what's going to happen. Japan goes to Imperial Japan and Nazi goes, I'm sorry, Nazi Germany goes to Nazi Germany. Okay. These are very long, prolific cultures that both went in, fell into to fascism. Okay. Essentially fascism, militaristic fascism. They get soundly defeated in a joint effort by literally the world. Norm was right. Norm MacDonald was right. Yeah. yeah. Germany took on the world twice. Now they get beaten. Their natural enemy, both, um, you know, just border you know, and, and geography-wise, uh, both of those massive countries now, China being Japan's enemy, right? And then uh, Germany and Russia never really got along. Uh, you're going to see communism flaring up in both communist China and red Russia, the Soviet Union. So these are things that they're very concerned about. And Oppenheimer is saying, guys, we shouldn't really be working on this stuff. And uh, the president at the time is saying, I got bigger things to worry about than how right. you know, J. Robert Oppenheimer sleeps at night right. with all, you know the thing that he made us for all that money we paid him. Yeah. Thanks for your service. But So I get it. We'll yeah. take it from here. I get it. Now, yeah. Truman and Oppenheimer do not get along, and Oppenheimer's opposition to the creation of a hydrogen bomb will lead to that very rough falling out between the two of them. So as you said earlier, Dad, the atomic bomb, Oppenheimer's, it seems to be, and this is from the limited reading we were able to do, um, Seems to be that he understood that dropping an atomic bomb on Japan to end the war was a greater good. Okay. Right. Um, now we're going to have a hydrogen bomb, bigger, deadlier, faster, sexier. How do we do it? You know what I mean? It, it's That's where he was concerned. He goes, I don't know if we can stop this. And again, I hear it all the time, the slippery slope isn't real. Yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> In this particular case, it was. Absolutely. So 
Now, Oppenheimer will wind up faring a little bit better uh, for a time with the next president and former Supreme Allied commander, Dwight Big Dick Eisenhower. Okay, Ike had a lot of respect for Oppenheimer because he knew that uh, this is one of those guys that was involved in that thing that made it so I didn't have to send my men on a land invasion into Japan. That's why I got to, you know, wrap things up here. We got to kick Hitler's, uh, you know, ass in a high hat. And uh, we were able to end the war in Japan via these two incredible scientific breakthroughs. So unfortunately, uh, Ike is also going to be one of those guys that has to, this is a, a, the black mark on Oppenheimer's career is going to come from, unfortunately, the pen of Dwight D. Eisenhower. So um, again, Ike had some respect for him here, knew that this guy was responsible for saving thousands of American lives from the chaos that would have been a land invasion here. But some people argue that um, Oppenheimer felt regret about the creation and the use of the bomb. Others, and this is, by the way, mostly backed by documentation that was only released and declassified, uh, I think from the Freedom of Information Act, from the U.S. Energy Department. These files were leaked in 2014, Kahuna, that Oppenheimer was a man who understood the importance of what he created and hoped that his scientific achievement would not become the downfall of human existence. So the point worth noting here is that as, as he continues, Oppenheimer continues to oppose the creation of a hydrogen bomb. And these emails that have come out, uh, not emails, but these, these letters written by him and other accounts and, uh, you know, just good note taking, if you will. Oppenheimer actually, he didn't want a hydrogen bomb. He wanted a small nuclear arsenal that could be used for smaller scale warfare. So he didn't really want Nagasaki and Hiroshima going down again. But if you knew that the Russians are all encamped right here at this riverbank, we can drop a small, maybe called a tactical nuke. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. He wanted. He was. He understood. We're, we're not going to stop using this, you know, stuff here. Right. Because there's some people that want to paint him like, oh, he he was he, he regretted making it ever. No. And he the en energy generator could be used for things other than bombs. Well, what do we cover on this show? Is every great discovery is how do we? How kill? do we use it to? This kill is great. Someone. This yeah. is great. How do we use it to kill somebody? And can I have sex with it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what really I think a key um, element here that came into play too is that. Uh, at the close of the Second World War, we were the only country that had nuclear capabilities. But then in uh, September of 1949, uh -oh. the Soviets exploded Dad, their first how nuclear did they, bomb. What, did they take information from us or something, Dad? Yeah, well, that was the What, that what was did they the have, undercover, undercover some sort of people that are communist sympathizers? Yeah. That are given, what are you, what are you, ridiculous, your conspiracy theory here? They must have, they must have had spies what, uh, so what, feeding them information. classic name like the Rosenbergs or something? Yeah. What, do they got like info from Fort Monmouth in New Jersey right down the street from our old studio, Dad? Get yeah. out of here. Yeah. You tinfoil hat wearing yeah, maniac. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Had to be an inside job. But the, the Soviets uh, exploded their first nuclear bomb in 1949. And there's a whole big, you know, two different camps that we have to be bigger and better that we have to develop the hydrogen bomb. So we got a bomb that's bigger than their bomb and, you know, my dick's bigger than your dick. And uh, um, so it escalated to that. And then the um, the hydrogen camp, if you will, starts pointing fingers at Oppenheimer that, uh, hey, remember he was dating that uh, girl from uh, college uh, that was from the Communist Party. He's got a brother that was a communist. Uh, his wife was a, a communist that uh, uh, back in the 30s. So that there, there now we got the whole McCarthyism um, springing up in the 50s that uh, um, Oppenheimer is removed from um, the head of the whole nuclear development, if you will. The uh, um, uh, I believe he was stripped 
and take and all they his took away the security clearance. Yeah, all his security clearances were taken away. Uh, Oppenheimer's. After, after, yes. Yeah, Oppenheimer. By after all of these uh, investigations and his communist ties and, and everything else. And why did they start looking into any? By the way, none of this was. Uh, uh, they didn't screen him for this prior to putting him in charge of the most secretive plan in American history. I would argue it's the most secretive in American history. Oh, they 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 screened him big time. Exactly. Uh, and these prior to the Manhattan issued. Project. And all during the Manhattan Project, he never had a moment alone, if you will, no. because uh, somebody was always looking over his shoulder uh, and following him everywhere. That uh, again, this was such a top secret thing that uh, you know, as I said before, he he couldn't fart without them knowing about it. So, so uh, th <laughs> this is a good example. Something I want to bring up here. So, as you said, Dad, they took away all of this went away, and these are all things they they're hitting him for stuff that they should have hit him on years ago. It goes back to that sentence from earlier. Uh, his accomplishments in the 40s are undermined in the 1950s for things he did in the 1930s. You went right. to a couple of meetings to try to hang out with some girls, okay? <laughs> that's right. Really, that's probably what it was. Is there a better way than what we're going through with the Great yeah. Depression in the 30s? Or you just want to go hear somebody give a speech. Like, it, it's not going to be, I don't want to use too much pop culture stuff here because people get uh, annoyed by that. It's like, but hey, you... You went to a, a talk, if you will. You went to go hear yeah. people have a talk or a you discussion. You listen to a podcast. Holy yeah. crap. Exactly. <laughs> when I am when I am the libertarian governor of New Jersey, yeah. okay, there you people go. are going to sit there and be like, I remember when he just was talking. I, I was just listening. I had no idea this was. I can remember when he was telling dick jokes and getting paid for it. That's right. I'll still tell dick jokes if I'm the libertarian governor of New Jersey. <laughs> can we make that happen? How many jokes can Some I Some say he is a dick joke. Well, no. Uh, <laughs> No. Uh, no, I, I didn't. Now you know how that fucking Chris uh, Madden joke felt. <laughs> Eat it, enjoy it. Well, I think we're just all hurt today, but none hurt more than J. Robert Oppenheimer, who found out uh, the hard way that all he had to do was have a couple of political enemies. You want to talk about this one, Dad? Think about this. What would you rather have angry at you, the mob? I shouldn't even say angry at you. If the mob's going to get rid of you, or Washington D.C. is going to get rid of you. Now, there's obviously some yeah. cases where oh. they handle it the same way. <laughs> but what did they do? The mob will come up to you. We talked about this with the Philly mob. You know what I mean? You're out in your car. You got a different driver that day. All of a sudden, you're gone. Right. You never knew it came. You know what I mean? Yeah, you never knew. Two shots in the back of the head. You exactly. never saw it coming. Boom. You know what? It's There's on, a beautiful it's funeral. And the guy who killed you is going to send flowers. Lots and, say, and so lots sorry. of flowers. I'm so sorry. It was just business. I hope you understand. Yeah. Right? In D.C., when you're dealing with the swamp, if you will. Um, and by the way, geographically, it's a swamp. All right? That's not a political statement. Um, but when you're dealing with that, what they do, and again, one of the hatchet men here, the guy, I don't have proof that he was directly involved, but Roy Cohn would have been around this time frame because he was backing up McCarthy. Right. From McCarthy. He this was is one your of second his red scare. Chief prosecutors. Right. Your first red scare being like uh, 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 Sacco and Vanzetti. Yeah. Uh, I almost said Nick Franco and Vanzetti. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Um, but what uh, you mean is Ken Cranston and the first Red Scare before the First World exactly. War. Now we got the Second Red that Scare your, your, after the Second World. Correct, War. because you're seeing uh, governments take hold of these ideas, and then they're toppling. You know, radical changes taking place. That's the whole thing. So um, anyway, Oppenheimer, who was completely fine for pre-screening to get involved in the biggest, most secret project of all time. All of a sudden, the meetings that he went to in the 1930s are being brought up and fundraiser dinners that he was a part of. Is he actually... It got so bad, Kahuna, that they somehow made it seem like Oppenheimer 
legitimately might be, and these are people providing information. These are these are the paper hitmen. These are reputation hitmen that they're putting behind this. How do we smear this guy? How do we make it so that nobody wants to work with him? How do we ruin this guy's life without taking the club to his knees like our mafia friends would do? What they did was they led enough people to believe, oh, I heard J. Robert Oppenheimer is actually a Russian spy. No. They painted this picture of him so effectively that Eisenhower was like, no way. Are you, are you serious? And they're like, yep, I'm afraid so. And he goes, okay, so it looks like I'm going to have to uh, I'm gonna have to go ahead and do something about this. I guess we should take away his, what, his security clearance? Like, yeah, let's take him off that project too. He's always giving us a hard time about the hydrogen bomb, probably what Russia wants. You know what I mean? Russia, 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 Russia. Sorry, that was my impression of CNN over the last 10 years. Um, no, it, that's it. All you got to do is say Russia and you can you can get people where you want to go, man. Um, and that's what they did. And by the way, these guys, McCarthy and Roy Cohn, were two uh, uh, right-wingers of the time that were leading this, you know, that the, the combating of the Red Scare is worse than the Red Scare actually ever was. And one of the casualties of that fear and the idea that you could say J. Robert Oppenheimer, the father of the atomic bomb, is a Russian spy to the point where he loses the security clearance, is no longer involved in uh, the Atomic Energy Commission at all. Uh, they, they pretty much kick him out the front door. And he winds up, he does make some speeches and stuff like that too. But the accusations of him being a Soviet spy are going to follow him for the rest of his life until he dies. He passes away. Yeah. Um, I believe it was 1967 he passes away. Kahuna, um, one guess where he was living at the time when he passed away. No. Princeton, New Jersey. Oh my God! Yeah, he was teaching over at Princeton, I believe. Yeah, he did. He did. Uh, <laughs> you could have told me Mammoth Naval Base, <laughs> Fort Mammoth, baby. Now, in '54, he was stripped of his security clearance, which pretty much ended his uh, political influence, and effectively, uh, you know, he he was done as far as his uh, research and development career, uh, <clears throat> and it really took <clears throat> what another. 10 years at least to um, really kind of clear his name once we got past the McCarthyism and now we're into the into the 60s. And, uh, and in 1963, um, JFK, John F. Kennedy, awarded Oppenheimer the Enrico Fermi Award. Now, Enrico Fermi was another brainiac scientist that was very much involved with the nuclear, uh, nuclear fission and everything else that... Uh, uh, Fermi, um, they're, they're making this award to Oppenheimer, and I think I believe Fermi actually worked for Oppenheimer. Yeah. So, so one of his underlings has a, an award named after him, and now they're giving it to uh, to Oppenheimer. Um, unfortunately, uh, Kennedy issued to him by. Okay, you're about to say it. You know, uh, Kennedy, unfortunately, Kennedy didn't live long enough because he gets assassinated in, in Texas, uh, and it was his. Uh, uh, Kennedy's vice president, Lyndon Baines Johnson, now becomes president, and he's the guy that actually makes the uh, the presentation uh, to Oppenheimer. They're pretty much an apologetic, uh, you know, sorry about the wrong we did you back in the fifties, uh, and we we owe you a lot. But uh, here here's an award <laughs> for uh, the famed scientist, and then of course, uh, um, you know, he, he Oppenheimer continued to lobby that we should have international rules and regs as to uh, how we're going to use this awesome power of uh, nuclear. Um, 
that we keep con controls on this because in the wrong hands, we're right back to, uh, you know, letting the Nazis get a hold of it. Was or it an Einstein quote that he goes, uh, I have not the idea of what uh, weapons World War Three will be fought with, but World War Four will be fought with sticks and stones. Because we're going to be bombing us back to the caveman. I think that might have been an Einstein quote. I'm not sure. Could be. Yeah. Um, yeah, but unfortunately, uh, you know, he's he's awarded this thing and uh, this award in '63, but uh, shortly thereafter, four years later in '67, he dies of uh, throat cancer in Princeton, New Jersey. Smoking, gotcha, baby. Just a year after retiring, I mean, so his life yeah, was one his year, work. One year in retirement, but I guess the uh, the cancer sticks caught up with him. Well, it, th this <sighs> is, uh, and again, what it, what it, I'm I'm very curious what the movie's going to focus on. It's a Christopher Nolan movie. He makes excellent movies. It's got a great cast. Killian Murphy, I think, is playing Oppenheimer. That's uh, that's uh, uh, Tommy Shelby, by the way. Oh, yeah. Hopefully they get the historical uh, aspect of it correct, like we do here at American Loser. <laughs> well, uh, again, that was the whole thing, is that it was uh, a brilliant career. The guy saved. He's and when you look at these emails too, that that's the whole key. These uh, things that were released. I keep saying emails, but um, these things are getting released. His correspondence and stuff like right. that. Absolute patriot. Yeah. Resolute that America's the the greatest. You know, the, the last best hope on earth. You know what I mean? And he uh, he had his reputation ran through the mud because he was going up against the military industrial complex that's really what it boiled down that to. wanted the hydrogen bomb so i don't want to be that guy but anybody who wants to know why oppenheimer was a casualty in that war if you will of the military industrial complex if you want to know a little bit more about that all you have to do is read listen to or watch uh president dwight d eisenhower's speech upon his exit from the office because the country changed. You look back in history, it changed after he left. Mm -hmm. And you had a couple of great moments. You had uh, this handsome JFK guy come in here, and he's gone. Then you got uh, Nixon comes in, you know, following LBJ, obviously. And then he's gone. LBJ decides not. There's a lot of things going on over here. It was crazy times. These modern events. World War II is the start of the modern world, if you will. For it, people talk about like, oh, that was my great grandpa fought in World War II or something. Uh, start reading about it. Their lives were not that much different than ours. They really weren't. There's a lot of advances that have been made. But this guy, Oppenheimer, is one of the great geniuses of all time. And because of the political game, he wound up having black marks put on his uh, reputation for his entire life. And it's great, by the way, that we finally exonerated him in 2014 when you know, information was declassified by the United States government, uh, doesn't do him a whole lot of good when he was dead in 1967. Yeah. They ruined this guy's mm -hmm. life. And everything that was written about him makes him so sympathetic, they say, the historians that were reviewing everything. And a lot of, he has huge fans. He still has fans. There are still Oppie's boys out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't know whether or not that's cool or terrifying. That he has fans out there? That they're still called Oppie boys. Oh, uh, it's a... Uh, <laughs> Well, we're getting tattoos after this. <laughs> there you go. There you, go. But, you know that the whole argument too about um, should we have dropped the uh, the bomb on uh, on Japan to end the war, and 
how many lives were saved or how many Japanese lives were, were taken and all these the arguments back and forth. I clearly remember the first time that I went to the Air and Space Hangar, not the Air and Space Museum in Washington, D.C., but just short ways outside of the Air and Space Hangar, which is, which is across the street, really, from uh, Dulles Airport. Um, I'm in there viewing uh, all the different aircraft and everything else that they have on display there. And it's just an awesome, awesome uh, place to check out. But I'm looking at the Enola Gay, which was the plane that was used to drop the bomb. Um, I'm looking at this aircraft there at, at, at the museum, and I'm reading this placard uh, about uh, the ins and outs of the day they dropped the bomb. And there's an elderly gentleman standing next to me at the museum that day. I forgot about this. And <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm reading this placard trying to find out about the Enola Gay and everything else and about the dropping of the bomb. And this elderly gentleman was standing next to me and he says, yep, I was in a troop transport waiting to go. That if the Japan did not surrender, mm -hmm. they were going to send me in as part of the land invasion of Japan. And how many American lives would have been lost is, you know, thousands untold uh, that would have been lost because, again, the Japanese uh, population was already geared up and, and um, brainwashed, if you will, that uh, they were going to fight to the last with sharpened sticks if, they, if need be. That, uh, you know, that, uh, that they hit home for me, that uh, oh, yeah. it, there's an argument that there was a guy that was, um, you know, helmet on, waiting to, waiting for the yep. for the Japanese to surrender, and they did not. I mean, the first bomb was dropped, and uh, Russia and uh, the Soviet Union, Russia, um, the Japan, they figure, well, all right. So they got one bomb. They they just shot their load with that one bomb. There's no way that they could possibly do it again. So uh, you know, we're possibly going to keep slugging it out. And then a couple of days later, they dropped the second bomb, and it's like, oh shit! All right, it's uh, game over. But how many lives were know, saved? How many more of these do you have? Yeah, and that's that was part of uh, Truman's uh, Trump card too. They didn't have any more. I mean, it would have would have taken another couple of months, I believe, before they could uh, develop uh, or put together another bomb. But uh, we weren't going to let uh, Uncle Joe Stalin know that one. That's but anyhow, that was that was a. Uh, I still remember that day that uh, you know, you make all the arguments you want, but how about asking the guy that was in the troop transport that was waiting to wait to go ashore um, on if they did not surrender? All right, man, when you land, yeah, it's bayonets on. Yeah, prepare for the fight. Oh, a couple of eggheads out in New Mexico came up with an idea, folks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I should probably read more about him. I would like to. He's a fascinating guy. I look forward to seeing what the movie's going to come uh, up with. But as always, um, I think he's a hell of a, a, an American loser because we didn't do this guy right on the way out the door. Um, and maybe, by the way, and I, I know a lot of people feel this way, maybe having the government not want him, you know, uh, maybe kicking his ass on the way out the door, that's actually a worse look on the government than it was on J. Robert Oppenheimer. So... There he goes, folks. Cahoon's anything to say to the folks on the way out? Nothing. I'm just, I'm actually kind of impressed that this is one of those episodes where it's like, I'm glad I knew who it was going into it, but I really did not know the expanded story as much as I had thought. Because to be honest with you, just after 
the creation of what he after the bomb creation i just mm-hmm. kind of you tend to not think about what the after effect could be for someone like that oh, it's yeah. just like i really find it fascinating how the government did him dirty like i mean it's not surprising but it's just it's irritating especially when people were trying to paint him as like this evil motherfucker when in reality he was just someone who sought knowledge and just wanted to hear different perspectives what's the uh the saying too i'm trying to remember all of my don't be smart and stupid fbi files or something like that what was it (laughs) there's a good quote out there about it don't be smart and stupid town that helps too um but uh now he was uh i very much look forward to the movie here and we're gonna keep this bad boy rolling I uh, promised you guys a book. We're going to have it out. uh, It'll be out in time for the election year. We're doing the book. We're absolutely doing the book. There's two other projects we're working on. I spoke to a listener today uh, who uh, started off as a listener and became a coworker. (laughs) Um, And he's curious about what the other projects are too. Cahoon and I have some meetings we got to have. There's some stuff we're moving forward with. Lots of good things. Come see me. I'm doing shows. I'll be down at the Hangout in Myrtle Beach this weekend with the legend Rich Voss. Uh, I think that's one show only. I believe that's on Friday. So, which is going to be what date numerically? The 20th? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Google it. Uh, come on out to- I'm retired. Uh, I, don't, I don't have a calendar. I uh, see. That part's nice, man. That part's nice. A couple of things coming up too. We're going to be working on moving forward. Uh, come see me live. Check me out. It's at KP Burke Sucks over on Instagram. That's where I'm having the most fun. KP Burke over on Facebook. I'm posting jokes. We're posting more stand-up clips and stuff like that too. Getting the kahuna, all sorts of extra money. And uh, folks- that was J. Robert Oppenheimer, American Loser. An American Loser the day I was born. An American Loser the day I was born. An American Loser the day I was born. <laughs> <laughs>